0: you're listening to the heart of it podcast my name is sam smeltzer and i'm an hr intuitive and healer in this podcast we'll chat about what the industry of human resources can make possible for people and our organizations in each episode we'll have raw conversation around inner development and organizational culture change to create a working world where both people and organizations thrive thank you for listening now let's get this episode started Make me ready. The fact that I'm still married today as I write this means the conversation was successful. In fact, as a result, our relationship is more fulfilling than ever for both of us. But one fact became evident as we journeyed through this extremely challenging, heart-wrenching time. If this had happened five years earlier, he and I both know I wouldn't have come back home. There would have been no way I could have started that conversation. My marriage would have ended. The most significant relationship of my life would have been over. Just like that. So what changed? What made me ready to come meet him in the middle? I certainly knew I needed him. I knew that he provided balance and support that I absolutely needed in my life. But that alone was not enough to make me ready. The Art of People-Pleasing If you are anything like me, you are a people-pleaser. People-pleasers enter relationships with an uncanny ability to put their own thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs on a shelf. They focus all their energies on the thoughts, feelings, wants, and needs of the other, desiring nothing more than to feel like they have substantially contributed, which is disturbingly not unlike trying to control someone else's happiness. The wonderful world of Hollywood uses drama to create thrilling films, but life is not a movie. When drama occurs in real life, we must wake up the following day and handle the consequences. What most of us are seeking is peace, an eternal peace and harmony within ourselves, knowing that we have exactly what we need and are where we need to be in any given moment. Our culture, however, paints The picture of wants driving us to purchase material goods to secure our peace. But happiness cannot be found in a store, and it certainly cannot be bought. It lives within us, waiting for the day that we will be open to listening. I entered my marriage just like any other relationship the fear of being alone was so terrifying that I would rather have companionship of any sort than face the alternative. My main goal was simply to make sure he didn't leave. I strive to become what my husband wanted and needed, hiding any thoughts and feelings of my own, which might jeopardize the status quo. Marriage is a funny thing. The dynamics from boyfriend to fiancé to husband change drastically. Your personal space becomes less especially once you share a bed. Inside, I finally recognized on some level the appeal of being married but having separate twin beds side by side. I also quickly understood the trends of man caves and she sheds. When personal space becomes a premium, it becomes easy to forget who we are and where the marriage begins. More importantly, we forget who we were before the relationship After saying I do, some days I felt as if I were living a lie, trying so hard to be this impossible creature of perfection, trying so hard to cleanse myself of behaviors that contradicted the perfect wife image. The facade only got heavier as time passed. By the time we reached the breaking point, I was so tired. I was tired of pretending that our marriage was perfect and that my husband was everything that I needed. I soon realized that the entire thing had been a facade for him as well. I've since come to the conclusion that you cannot fake relationships. Marriage is the ultimate vulnerable relationship that we enter into and promise to give of ourselves in a way we promise to no other. When my marriage was on the rocks, I was given a gift the opportunity to reevaluate what I wanted and needed from this relationship. My husband had wanted the same chance, so we began to meet regularly with a therapist who could help guide us through the process. I quickly found myself using those sessions selfishly, pushing the envelope by putting out whatever raw but authentic emotion or voice arose. I no longer sat back and listened to what my husband wanted and needed, trying to change myself so I could become that The beauty of one's marriage almost ending is that once you have a taste of the pain and heartache, it completely changes the circumstances under which you will enter into that relationship again. Perhaps it was the necessary step needed for me to have any chance at a healthy marriage, a happy marriage. During this time of healing, regardless of how painful and uncertain it was, we equally felt a weight or barrier had been lifted allowing us to be more intimate than ever. I hope by now you have learned that the true intimate connection we all crave is beyond the bedroom, on a level that resonates within your core. It's your soul being exposed and being accepted. For almost a year, my cry of the banshee came unyieldingly into our home. Sometimes it was every night, and even though I felt like the ugly cry caused me to mumble nonsense and gibberish... I felt the most authentic I had ever been in my marriage. The triggers for this ugly cry would spark exhausting but necessary discussion between the two of us, and for the first time in nearly ten years we talked about all the things which had been left unsaid. Not a day goes by that I take my marriage for granted. This entire experience ingrained in me how much hard work a satisfying relationship is. Therefore, I live each day as if my husband might not be here tomorrow. When you embrace this shift, it puts things into perspective and makes it possible to never go to bed angry at one another, to kiss often, and to find, and to find time for just the two of you to cherish. It makes all that cheesy but so true marriage advice unreasonable and valuable. Own what you can own. author gabrielle bernstein often suggests clean up your side of the street this concept points out that before we can engage in the blame game or pass judgment on another we must first take care of what we need to own let's initially think about this from a literal sense think of a neighbor whose house is across the street Every morning you come out of your home and shake your head as you look over at your neighbor's house. Their yard is full of weeds and they clearly have not mowed in weeks. The paint is peeling. There are dead plants throughout the garden and the trash is overflowing into the street and it's not even trash day. This neighbor is prime for picking when it comes to neighborhood gossip but before you should say one judgmental word. You need to turn around and look at your own house. Is it perfect? Is it pristine? Perhaps parts of it, but perfection is a myth. There is always something that can be better. That goes the same for us as individuals. Life is a journey, not a destination. This next example is equally as simple in nature, but it's a true story that illustrates the point I went through a period of time in my career where I frequently found myself in the following predicament. I held a job with a challenging supervisor, challenging in a non-motivating, completely unhealthy way. The circumstances reached a point where I made made the decision to leave my position without having secured a new job. One reason for this was that I was so traumatized by this constant pattern happening in my career that I continually second-guessed myself in the job search process. I did not trust myself to select an organization and position to apply for out of fear that I would just replay the next round of the pattern again. I became highly selective and did many, many Google searches on the organizations before ever submitting my resume. This is when I found the one job where I actually knew the supervisor. Tracy Oz had been an adjunct professor at my college. She was the one who introduced me to the world of corporate training and development and inspired me to shift my career from a focus in employee relations to training. The idea of being able to work and possibly be mentored by the same person who'd inspired me sounded like perfection. The only issue was that it was a training job and they were looking for someone with relevant experience. And my background was a bit of a stretch. To top it off, it was a position in healthcare, while my background then was 10 years in retail. Despite knowing nothing about healthcare, I applied and surprisingly got a call back. After five months of interviews, I was made an offer and started my career in healthcare. Tracy and I began building our relationship and figuring out the dynamics of working together. As expected, we hit our first little bump in the road, the test of conflict that either strengthens or weakens an infant relationship. My work shift was from 8.30 in the morning to between 4 and 4.30 in the afternoon. As a new employee, my daily schedule consisted of morning training or shadowing Tracy, and then ended in my own cubicle working on various projects. At the end of the day, as I would pack up to leave, I would see the light on in Tracy's office, I would question whether or not I should stop in and say bye before heading out. Now, let's put some more context around why I would ponder this question. I am extremely introverted at my core, so my first instinct is to over-observe and over-analyze everything. One of my past supervisors was not a fan of 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 end-of-day farewells, viewing them as interruptions. This perspective had definitely stayed with me. As a new employee, I desperately wanted to leave a perfect first impression. As a result of these prior circumstances, I decided to not say goodbye. I cleaned up for the day, logged off my computer, and headed out. The next morning, I greeted Tracy in her office and got comfortable to learn what was on that day's agenda. Sam, before we get started, she said, there is something I would like to talk to you about. I took a big gulp and nodded for her to continue. My mind was already racing to what I might have done or forgotten to do. Tracy went on to inquire why I hadn't said goodbye at the end of the day. Then, she shared all the stories she had made up in her head, which varied from me hating my job to me simply slacking off and cutting out early. I sighed relief and apologized, sharing my goodbye dilemma. Honestly, I couldn't believe we were having a conversation about such a menial action. However, it was a perfect display of how menial actions have the power to derail relationships. If Tracy had not initiated the conversation with me to clear the air, the stories her mind created would have impacted our working relationship and possibly haunted my career at that organization. This was the very first time I witnessed what it takes to meet someone in the middle, that blatant move engraved in me a level of respect for Tracy that I still hold to this day. In every circumstance, there is something we can own, and indeed that we must own. If we have any hope of truly creating a healthy relationship, if we remain in denial and choose to engage in blame, the relationship will deteriorate. The same is true if someone is blaming you, judging you, and owning nothing. The decision is yours to take steps to heal the relationship or end it. Our undeniable human desire to connect despite expected challenges and possible rejection is actually worth it. The value is found when you discover people who will meet you halfway. Once you establish a foundation of these synced relationships, you'll have a firm ground to stand on for the next shift. I would like to share. Being able to see the doors of opportunity open to you once you begin to own what you need to own. Exposed in this chapter, number one, what most of us are seeking is peace, an internal peace and harmony within ourselves. Number two, the true intimate connection we all crave is beyond the bedroom on a level that resonates within your core. It's your soul being exposed and being accepted. Number three, before we can engage in the blame game or pass judgment on another, we must first take care of what we need to own. Number four, there will come a test of conflict that will either strengthen or weaken an infant relationship. And number five, menial actions have the power to derail relationships.